The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. The scripture reading for today is from Romans chapter 8, 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but the hope, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. How we doing? Doing all right. I'm very glad that you're here today. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, if you were here to hear from Pastor Barry, our senior pastor, this is the first Sunday without him. He's on sabbatical. And uh, we're gonna be uh, having a number of Sundays with different preachers, Sissy, myself, and others, and looking forward to that. But I wanna commend to you uh, as a pastor on staff to pray for Pastor Barry. There's a great joy in being a pastor and in, in pastoring a church and walking with people along their faith journey, helping them grow in maturity in Christ and reminding you of the truth of the gospel. But there's also a spiritual weight and burden that comes with that call and that vocation. And so I would commend to you to, to pray for Pastor Barry. I'm personally committing to every day praying for him. And at the very least, I think we could personally commit to every Sunday when we're reminded that not Barry is preaching to pray for him, to pray for him that God would refresh him and renew him in this season, uh, that he would come back uh, ready to go um, and refuel for our church. Uh, in fact, let's do that now. Let's pray for him. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our senior pastor. We pray for Barry. Lord, we thank you for who he is, the way that you've called him to this church. We thank you for the willingness with which he serves, his faithfulness and integrity. God, we ask that you would refresh him, that you would renew him, that even today you would restore communion and deep union with you. God, I pray that his relationship with you would deepen in a new way and that you would bless him and his family in this time of sabbatical. Lord, we turn our attention now to your word. It is a light for us in the darkness. It is life to us in our soul and spirit. So God, we ask for you right now to, to speak to us by your spirit. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you now and for always. Amen. Amen. There is a uh, new word, new phrase going on in the Barnett home over the last few weeks. We have toddlers. They are just about three years old and four years old. And, old. and so these toddlers are, are starting to pick up on new phrases. And here's the one that we're hearing quite often. It's really hard to wait. It's really hard to wait. I don't know if you remember saying that as a toddler. I for sure do, because I remember my toddler days. Do you? Do you? No? No, it's really hard to wait. Actually, it sounds like this. It's really hard to wait. It's really hard to wait. 
So maybe there's like some hunger going on. Dinner time is not yet there. And mom and dad are in the kitchen getting dinner ready. One of them, you know, tugs on our pants and says, I'm so hungry. I know, sweet girl. Dinner is just about ready. Wait just a little bit longer. And here it is. It's really hard to wait. It's really hard to wait. Just yesterday, we went and visited my parents, Mimi and Pops, and uh, they've got a little bit of land with some kind of those motorized kid vehicles, you know, the gators that they get to drive around, little John Deere tractors or whatever. And they were so excited to go to Mimi and Pops, we had to get ready for the day, right? And so we're getting ready in the morning and they know what we're about to do. Oh, I wanna go to Mimi and Pops. It's really hard to wait. We went and got ice cream this last week. We told them, hey, we're going to get ice cream. Thank you for being obedient and respectful and kind to one another. This is awesome. We're gonna go celebrate with ice cream. Rila wanted chocolate, I wanted strawberry. It's really hard to wait. That's all we heard on the car ride there. And if we're honest, if we could just harness our inner toddler authenticity and honesty, we could just say it together if we want, you know? Like, here we go, this is a true thing. It's really hard to wait. It's really hard to wait. As a human, it's really hard to wait. As a Christian, it's really hard to wait. And the question comes up, what are we waiting for specifically and acutely, precisely as Christians? And if we are waiting and it is hard, how do we wait? And can we just authentically say that it's really hard to wait? This is the truth of our experience. It is really hard to wait. And today we're gonna see in the scriptures, what is it that we are waiting for and how should we wait for it. But first, I want to get to what I call the logic of the gospel, Romans 8, 18. And, you know, Pastor Barry is on sabbatical, but he left his preaching Bible in the back room, so I thought I'd use it. Thanks, Barry, if you're watching. Here's what it says, Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This word consider in the Greek is logizomai. This is Paul's logizomai. Can you say that with me? Logizomai, logic, logarithm. This is Paul's consideration, his reckoning. It's a mathematical term. It's an accounting term. It is a precise term. Paul is not offering an opinion about reality. He's not you know, sharing a fuzzy feeling about how things are. He's speaking a gospel truth. He is adding up the logic of the gospel and coming to this conclusion. Because we have been set free from the cosmic powers of sin and death, because you and I have been transferred into the realm of the spirit. We've been filled with the life of God that we now are governed by the spirit, which is life and peace as we learn in our discipleship to Jesus, how to trust and follow him, to become like him as we are reminded by the Spirit of God that we are the children of God, like we heard last week, by whom the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, we have new intimacy, access, and relationship with God through Christ by the Spirit. As we share in the sufferings of Christ that we might share in the glory of Christ because we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. All of this, Paul adds up. And he says, I consider, I reckon, I look get some my. Here's the conclusion. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to our future glory. That is an Easter statement in a Good Friday world. That is a statement of hope 
in a world of hopelessness. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the future glory, a glory that will be revealed in us. Now, just a little thought experiment. So if I were to show you a red jersey from the Chicago Bulls, number 23, who's that player? Michael Jordan, all right? If I were to show you a yellow jersey that says Lakers on it, number six currently, but used to be number 23, who's that player? LeBron James. Some of you are like, I got no clue. That's just fine. It's just fine. Michael Jordan and LeBron James, arguably, arguably worth comparing as the greatest of all time in basketball. Now, I know some of you in this room just mentioning that, you're like, dude, you can't compare Michael Jordan with LeBron James or LeBron James with Michael Jordan. What are you talking about? They're not comparable. But I would argue that they are. And this is why people have the fun conversation. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? But if you were to compare Michael Jordan with say, I don't know, me, no comparison. LeBron James with me, no comparison. Just a few weeks ago, I got to play basketball with some people in the church and I wore my lawn mowing shoes and got blisters on the bottom of my feet. There's no way you're gonna compare me to Michael Jordan or LeBron James. It's not worth comparing. And Paul says, our present sufferings, not worth comparing to our future glory. It's like a block of gold on one side of the scales, shooting up a feather on the other. Future glory, sufferings now not even worth comparing. Paul's logizomai. I wanna be clear here. Paul is not minimizing suffering. He's not saying like, hey, there's always a silver lining. It's just gonna be okay. Hey, you know, things happen for a reason and we all kind of suffer. And, but you know what? Future glory. He's not minimizing our lived experience. In fact, Paul at that time and likely always is the second in line to suffering behind Christ for the sake of the gospel. Paul knew what it was to suffer. Most of his letters were written from prison for living out his life as a Christian under the Roman Empire. And Paul says our present suffering is not worth comparing. He's not a suffering minimizer, as one pastor in the UK put it. He is a glory maximizer. He's bringing the logic of the gospel together. And he says, because of what has happened in Christ, because of who we are in Christ, the logic of the gospel points to this reality. We have a future hope that will sustain us through our suffering. We live in a world that we describe as senseless. Senseless violence, senseless injustice. And Paul says, there is only one true hope for this world. It is Christ alone. We need a story that can hold and contain the suffering that we all experience. That can transcend and transform all of our suffering. A story that makes sense of the senseless and says, we are going somewhere. It's not supposed to be this way. And Paul in his Logitsumai says, I know the story. This is the story. Romans 8 is synthesizing and summing up the entire story of God. Here is what Paul says in Romans 8, 19 to 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Whoa, 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 Paul, where'd you just take us? 
If you wanna structure the rest of the sermon with questions, if you're a note taker, it's this. What in the world is going on? What in the world is going on in me and in us? Then what must we get going on about in the world? And right here, Paul's addressing that question. What in the world is going on? You would think that he would go to describing the future glory, trying to give us this beautiful picture of what's ahead because our present sufferings aren't worth comparing. So give us a peek, Paul, what is it? But he doesn't describe future glory in detail. In fact, he turns to creation and he describes reality as it is. Don't you love when the Bible just tells you how it is? He's speaking honestly. He's providing the story that makes sense of our suffering because Christ has conquered death. He turns to creation. He says, for the creation, it waits. For the creation, creation implies a creator. Paul is speaking from a biblical worldview that there is a creator who made all of creation, everything invisible and visible, which implies that this creator has a purpose and intent for his creation. We are all of a sudden scaled up to a cosmic level of salvation. It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just us and Jesus. It's the universe and King Jesus. He scales it up to a cosmic level. And he says, for the creation waits an eager expectation for one thing and one thing only, the glory of the children of God to be revealed. Creation This word eager expectation is is straining forward, looking down the train tracks of God's kingdom come, standing on its tiptoes in expectation for one thing, that the glory of God would be revealed in us. Creation wants something for us. Creation wants something from us. This story can contain our groaning. This story alone can hold us when we say it's really hard to wait. And Paul says the creation made by the creator is groaning. It is groaning. He's referencing the entire story of God. Genesis one and two, God made everything and he called it good. God made humanity and he called us very good. Genesis chapter three, everything falls apart. Humanity turns its back on God. But how was humanity made? They were made in the image of God. What was the purpose for humanity? To rule over all that God made as wise stewards of his good world under the sovereign care of a good God. And we said, you know what? I'm not gonna bow before your throne. I'm gonna try and take it. I can be like you. I will rule. And so Paul's describing Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Creation groans because of that moment. Creation groans because of this story. That creation is bound to decay. That the greatest sunset you've ever seen, the best beach you've ever gone to, the the tallest mountain you've ever climbed, all of it is, is decaying. And you feel it and you sense it. In fact, there's some of you in this room like me, you've been feeling it the last few weeks. It's called allergies. Somebody know what I'm talking about? Allergies. And in defiance and in rebellion against allergies, I wore a shirt today with little dandelions on it because I'm preaching about resurrection hope, (laughs) that the world is not how it should be. And it's not always gonna be this way. Creation groans. The liberation of creation is found in the glorification of God's children. For the glory of God to be 
revealed in us. Here's how the old prophet Isaiah in chapter 24, verse five and six put it. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear the guilt. This is sin and death and the decay of creation. There's a curse, how the story tells. So what is creation longing for? Psalm 8, verses four and six. The psalmist says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with, here's the word, glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Creation is longing for us to take our rightful place again. And if you're like, That's how it should feel. This is a cosmic picture of who we are and what we were made for. Creation groans for you and I to experience the glory that we were made for. We were made in glory and we're going to glory that will be revealed in us. But in between is groaning. In between is groaning. But here's how Isaiah puts it. When when the people of God are made alive in Christ and kingdom come, we have new bodies and a new earth. Here's what it says. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Isaiah says the the, the earth is under a curse. Humans were made to rule. But when kingdom come, when Jesus returns, when the glory of God is revealed in and through the children of God, creation's gonna clap their hands. We're back in business, baby. We can move on. There's a mutually beneficial relationship between what God made in creation and who we are. That work doesn't work against us. It actually works with us. That you don't experience life as, thorns and thistles, you experience life as generative blessing. Paul scales this to a cosmic level and he says creation groans for one thing, for us to be glorified, you and me. Jesus said in John 17, Father, the glory that you have given me, I give to them. Glory crowned with glory, made for glory. Creation longs for it. We're caught up in the story of God, the only thing that can hold our suffering. But Paul says this, what in the world is going on? Creation's groaning, but what in the world is is going on in us and in me? We are too. We are too. Romans 8, 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So what is creation hoping for, groaning for, waiting for? For us to be glorified. And what are we waiting for? As we groan inwardly and tiptoe, look ahead for what's to come in Christ. We groan for resurrection bodies. We groan for a new earth with new bodies, where there's no corruption or decay. There's only goodness, beauty, and truth. And we rule wisely with God under his sovereign care. Cosmic, beautiful, enchanting salvation. We've been set free from sin and death. 
transferred to the realm of the spirit, filled with the life of God, called children of God, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, provided that we share in his sufferings so that we may share in his glory. What's the glory? New earth, new bodies, new life with God. New bodies, new bodies. You know, I wouldn't recommend playing basketball with long mowing shoes. You will get blisters. But I want a body that doesn't get blisters. I want a body that isn't Im- it is immune to decay. I want a body that doesn't get diagnosed with sickness, that doesn't get stuffed up with allergies. I want a body that doesn't get tired. I want a body that is fit for the work that God has called me to. Likely you do too. I want a world where there's not diagnosis of cancer. I want a world where there's not fear of the future. I want a world where we don't have to talk about senseless gun violence. I want a world where racial marginalization and mistreatment is no thing because we are the multi-ethnic community of God. I want a world where there's not financial stress. I want a world where people are set free from mental health, physical disability. I want a world where we were made in glory, experiencing Glory, ruling, and glory. I want that world because it's the one I was made for. And the world that we are in is not how it should be. Neither are you. In a message given by N.T. Wright, he tells this story, a little illustration that helps with this. You know, when you have a friend that you haven't seen for a while, maybe they've been sick and you see them and man, they, you can tell you've been going through it. And we say things like, and they're just a shadow of their former self. And we grieve in that statement. They're just a shadow of their former self. Maybe it's a loved one that you've seen age or is sick and they're just going through it. And the gospel and the hope of resurrection that we have as Christians, we are now a shadow of our future self. That you will have a new body that is, no longer subject to decay and corruption. You will have a body that is made in glory, that is like you, but more than you are now. They recognized Jesus and they didn't recognize Jesus after he was resurrected. He ate breakfast, but he could walk through walls apparently. You'll have a new body that is experiencing continuity and discontinuity with what you are because you were made for more. Everything is groaning, not in a groan of death, but in a groan of pain going to new life. Creation groans, and Paul says, we do too. You know how I know it? Because we all agree with this statement. It's really hard to wait. It's really hard to wait when a world that hurts and life that is hard And yeah, we might say, you know, I'm living the dream. But if we were to sit down over chai or coffee and just get honest for a second, we would connect most deeply, honestly, and quickly around saying, ah, I'm not living the dream. I'm groaning for the dream. It's really hard to wait. Last night, I went to bed crying in tears about the shooting yesterday in Allen. What? It's really hard to wait. The night before, I went to bed crying in tears over a family member who's in hospice. It's really hard to wait. It's not supposed to be this way. I need a story that transcends and transforms the suffering of the world. I need a story that can hold it, 
and tells me I'm going somewhere. I need a savior that can conquer the very thing we all experience, death. And he did. If the tomb is empty, nothing's the same. Not even our suffering. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, his rule and reign, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Here's what, Paul, or here's what the, the apostle John writes in 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Here is the great tension from glory to glory. There's groaning in the middle. We're already and not yet. We are adopted into the family of God. but We have not yet fully and finally realized the blessing and redemption and robust, beautiful picture of the gospel. We are groaning in the in-between. And Paul says, when Christ appears, our lowly bodies will be transformed into glorious bodies. That's why John, when he's given the revelation of the future heaven and earth, what is happening right now before the throne of God, in Revelation chapter seven, it says, I see people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue, the redemption of bodies, a multi-ethnic community. How can he see every tribe? Because of the color of their skin. How can he hear every language? Because of the, the ethnic languages that they're speaking and praising God with. Every body made new in Christ. Your body will be made new. We will be like him. What in the world is going on in us? We're groaning for glory. And then finally, Paul says this in Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, here it is, we wait for it patiently. What do we do in between? We wait patiently in hope. We were saved by grace. We were saved through faith. We were saved in hope. What is this hope? New earth, new bodies, new life with God forever. This is our future. And when you fall prey to cynicism and despair, maybe like the atheist Bertrand Russell, who said, all of life is unyielding despair. Or maybe the French philosopher Albert Camus, who said, all of life is absurd. You fall prey to the unyielding despair. You, you tap into that cynical view of everything's just absurd. You lean back on this truth. The Christian gospel hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if the tomb is empty, we have hope in our suffering, through our heartache, in the inner turmoil of our lives. You have hope. We have hope. We are a people, the only people in all of the world who have true hope. We all go through suffering and we all die. Jesus went through suffering and Jesus died, but Jesus did something that no one else did. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. 
I want, I want a faith that's built on that. Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise, your faith is useless. If Jesus didn't rise, we of all people are to be pitied. We're wasting our time. But Paul's little gets on my, the logic of the gospel. He is alive, therefore, our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to our future glory. Romans 8, 17 says that we share in the sufferings of Christ, that we may share in the glory of Christ. How do we wait patiently as Easter people in a Good Friday world, as people of hope in a hopeless world? How do we wait patiently? How do we practice now life with God? How do we sow seeds for the kingdom come? We wait patiently. We wait eagerly. We wait spirit-filledly. Because we are a people of the Spirit. God bringing us together by the new life he started in us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, it's begun. Are you in Christ? The new creation has begun. Jesus, the first fruits of new creation, rising from death, sending the spirit, making us alive. New creation is happening within us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 that we are being transformed from glory to glory, experiencing more and more as we follow the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus. But this is not triumphalism where we just walk around talking about how great everything is because we got this hope and man, suffering's no thing. No, sharing in the life of Jesus is precisely sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. We can't skip over what the Messiah went through. We go through suffering suffering in this present age, but the age to come, we will experience glory. And so as we wait patiently, we're the kind of people, because we have hope, we enter suffering with confidence and joy. We're a people of the Spirit. We're a people of the cross. We're learning by the Spirit in community to take up our cross and follow Jesus on the path of suffering. We can say to suffering, my God rules and reigns. King Jesus is alive. He's going to return. I have hope for today. I can hold this story with God and the people of God. We wait together as people of the spirit. We wait together as people of the cross, which means when there's brokenness and pain and grief in the world, what do we do as Christians? We lament, we pray, we seek God on behalf of this broken groaning world. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done like Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. I want the new earth, God. I want a new body, God. I want sin, death, corruption, and decay gone, God. We're people of the spirit, people of the cross. We have the new creation life within us. We lament the brokenness of the world, but we're also people of the resurrection. We wait eagerly on tiptoes, in hope, looking ahead. If this feels just huge and, and almost incomprehensible, it's because it is. This is a cosmic renewal. And by the grace of God, you and I are brought into this story. And when it's really hard to wait, when we wait together by the Spirit in the way of the cross with the hope of resurrection, we can do good in this world. We can remind people there is hope when the world feels hopeless, when the world feels senseless, 
when the world feels like it's in bondage to decay. We have hope. And so, as we close, I wanna share a short quote from N.T. Wright, who writes much on this future hope of resurrection. He says, learning to live as a Christian is learning to live as a renewed human being now, anticipating the eventual new creation in and with a world which is still longing and groaning for that redemption. May we be people of hope. And if today you feel hopeless, strengthen yourself in the gospel. The logizomai, you've been set free, you've been made alive. You have the spirit, we will inherit new life. The world is not how it should be and we're going somewhere good because our King Jesus will return. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.